we continue worshiping together this morning, please join me in your Bible or Bible apps as we receive these words from the 23rd Psalm, starting in the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now please rise and receive these words taken from the Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter, beginning in the 17th verse. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age. Houses, brothers and sisters, mother and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Receive what the Spirit is saying 
Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we do long for you. We long for you. We thirst and hunger for your presence. We need you. And I pray that you would come and draw near to all of us in all the places we are this day and that you would come and draw near to me as I seek to preach a word that honors you and nourishes uh, the people who come longing to receive what they need. I pray it in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. A story is told of a minister who sat at the hospice bedside of a dying woman. And as he could not find words of his own to speak, he simply began to recite the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And at that very moment, the woman began to stir and managed to find the energy to whisper, oh, but pastor, I do want, I want. I imagine many of us will resonate with that. The woman in the story, of course, wanted to be made well, wanted to get to experience more of the life and the love and the relationships that she would be leaving behind. Does Psalm 23 teach us that we aren't supposed to want like that? What does I shall not want actually mean? Rabbi Harold Kushner's book on the 23rd Psalm entitled, The Lord is My Shepherd, Healing Wisdom of the 23rd Psalm, is one of my companions as we journey together in this series through the coming weeks. Rabbi Kushner points out that the familiar Elizabethan English translation found in the King James Version does not mean I shall not desire anything. It does not mean I shall not desire anything. Kushner says, quote, the intent of the Hebrew is more accurately captured by more recent translations with words like, I shall lack for nothing. Or the Lord is my shepherd, what more do I need? The issue of whether I desire things beyond that, Kushner says, is beyond the point. Last week, I noted that the image of God as a good shepherd lives deep within the spiritual imagination of our religious ancestors, and the memory of God leading the Hebrew people out of slavery and providing manna in the wilderness folds into that image of a faithful, ever-present God who guides us through and provides for our needs. Now, if you go and read the story of that wilderness wandering, you will find that the people in the wilderness, well, they struggled to appreciate the manna. 
They remembered, you see, all the food that they had experienced back in the land of their captivity, Egypt. And they wanted that. But the thing is, God led the people out of slavery into freedom and made sure they had what they needed to survive. It's understandable that the Hebrew people wanted spiced meat and vegetables instead of a mystery substance likely scraped off of a tree. Which is, by the way, the best definition I could find of what manna actually might have been. Sounds pretty delicious. I mean, it's understandable. They wanted meat and veg. I mean, who wouldn't prefer that? They didn't get what they wanted, but they did not want for sustenance. And let's be clear, God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not an ATM. God does not exist to give us our way right away, but rather to guide us in God's way that is discovered in an unfolding kind of way over time. God doesn't just give us what we want, but works all day long to help us receive and share the good that we need. Also, let's be clear, it is both common and perfectly okay to get angry at God about the way things are in our lives or in the world around us. We can have feelings about how creation is created, how humans have free will and choices, how everything experiences cycles of birth and growth and diminishment and death. We can shake our fists at the heavens and and cry out against God because of suffering and strife. We can cry out saying, if the Lord is our good shepherd, then why do we want for peace? Why do we want for justice? Why do we want for an end to poverty? and pandemics and environmental degradation. Perhaps you've heard the one about a human who asks God, why do you allow poverty, suffering, and injustice, God, when you could do something about it? And God replies, you know, I was just getting ready to ask you the same question. We can have feelings about what we have or don't have. We can have feelings about the way things are. But the thing is, is that God has in fact given us all we need. We have been given this beautiful planet created in ways that are intricately interconnected and interdependent and the planet, well-tended and respected, provides all we need to thrive. 
We've also been given one another, a wonderfully diverse human family, each one with unique talents and skills and gifts and insight. And we're made to live in community, to care for one another and to share with one another and in so doing assure that all have what they need. Perhaps it helps to think about it this way. When the Lord is our shepherd, or perhaps if the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. Because if we are in fact being guided in God's way of life, We will be good stewards of the earth and we will grow healthy food that can feed hungry bodies instead of simply feeding someone's bottom line. When the Lord is truly our shepherd, we shall not want because we will understand that we are one human family, that we are created to care, that we are created to share and to provide for one another. We will both desire and choose in ways that assure that all have what they need, that all have enough. You see, together we can be an answer to our prayers. As I was preparing these reflections for today, I received an email from the Poor People's Campaign. Do you know about the Poor People's Campaign? Give me a nod or a huzzah. In case you don't, the Reverend William Barber, the Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, co-chairs of a national and growing international moral fusion movement for the, for the cause of justice for the poor and the vulnerable in our world. I received this message from the Poor People's Campaign as I was preparing these reflections for today, quote, as those with power and wealth continue to debate whether our nation has the resources to meet the needs of all its people. With talk about debt ceilings and budget and infrastructure bills, we, the people's, Poor People's Campaign, will continue to denounce the lie of scarcity amidst great abundance. And we will keep building our movement to end poverty once and for all. You will have likely encountered at some point along the way the idea of a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset perceives that there isn't enough time or money or resources for whatever it is that's needed. A scarcity mindset can be the response to a true lack of sufficient resources because we know that there are siblings all around us who do not have enough resources to thrive. 
And so their mindset gets focused on simply whatever it's going to take to survive, it is necessary. However, there are also those who have enough or more than enough, but still maintain a scarcity mindset out of fear. You know, what ifs can really do a number on us. What if I lose my job? What if a family member gets sick? What if I lose my benefits? What if I take money out of my 401k and then I'm not gonna have enough to retire comfortably? Whatever that might mean. What if, what if, what if, what if can lead to fearful obsession with not having enough? In either of those cases, whether the scarcity mindset grows up out of a true lack or grows up out of a fear of lack, the truth is, is that the focus on the need to have more money or to protect our money affects the overall perspective and literal brain function in our body. And as a result, it affects our choices and our actions. In our gospel text today, we encounter a rich man, we're told, who was clear about what he wanted. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the way I read the text is that this rich man was functioning within a market economy mindset. What's it gonna take for me to get this other thing that I want. Doesn't matter that it's a good thing. What's it gonna, what do I have to do to get it? Because I want it. Jesus' response is to recite the last six commandments of the Big Ten. He doesn't name the first four, which have to do with our relationship with God, but rather focuses on the last six, which are all about our relationship to our neighbor. And Jesus edits one of the commandments, evidently just for the benefit of the particular man that was standing before him. In verse 19 of our passage, instead of you shall not covet, as it is most often translated, Jesus says, you shall not defraud. The thing that made folks wealthy in Jesus' day was to own property. So we can assume that the rich man had property. Folks gained more wealth by acquiring the land of debt-defaulting neighbors. Think foreclosures. Therefore, it is also reasonable to assume that those who had lots of property had gained that wealth at the expense of the poor. In fact, the Greek word for defraud literally means to keep away from someone, to deprive, to take away what rightfully belongs to someone else. So you see, to follow the commandment as Jesus presented it would mean that the man has to give back what doesn't really belong to him, which by the way is Hebrew scholar Walter Brueggemann's definition of justice. It would mean that the man would have to acknowledge that the goods of the earth 
are unequally distributed, and then to do something about it. Jesus calls the man to do just that, to let go of what he doesn't need. Did you hear Jesus say, you lack one thing? Jesus didn't want him to lack anything. (laughs) You lack one thing. Here's all you have to do. Let go of what you don't need. Let go of what does not belong to you and come and follow me. The man goes away sad, refuses to follow as far as we know. And this, by the way, is the only time in all of Mark's gospel where Jesus calls someone to follow and they turn away. The only time. And this story not only impacts the life of the one who walked away from Jesus, it impacts the larger community as well. As one scholar writing about the scarcity mindset says, quote, when we feel that money and goods are scarce, we start to think of our neighbors and fellow citizens as competitors rather than teammates united by our shared humanity. When we believe that the economy is zero sum, we also come to believe that helping another person comes at our own expense. Helping our fellow humans escape poverty, debt, and misery in this scarcity mindset helping our fellow humans escape poverty, debt, and misery becomes a disservice to the wealthy rather than an expression of compassion and justice at the foundation of a society of equally free and equally valued people. I'm reading the last sentence again, just so it lands. One time I heard Bishop Easterling say, I'm just gonna let that walk around out there for a minute. Let me just say it one more time to make sure it's on out there. Here's what it says. From From a scarcity mindset, helping our fellow humans escape poverty, debt, and misery becomes a disservice to the wealthy rather than an expression of compassion and justice at the foundation of a society of equally free and valued people. Scarcity mindset makes us believe there is not enough to go around. But that is simply not true. There is enough if we don't destroy or squander Earth's resources. There is enough if we share what we have. There is, you can argue with me about it, bring it on, but I am going to say there is no reason that children in this country or any of our siblings should be going hungry or not receiving health care, or having access to clean water and secure housing. If we wanted, 
If we wanted, if we wanted to invest in solutions to care for the poor, the planet, and the common good, as much as we want to focus on, hmm, some examples, spaceships and weapons, then the creative, innovative brilliance that is present all around us, it's what we're known for as a country. That, that beautiful, creative, innovative brilliance, if we wanted to accomplish it, we could figure out how to get things done and there would be enough money to make it happen if we wanted to do it. If the Lord is our shepherd, we will want to do everything we can to assure that all have what they need, that all have enough, that all have a place at the table. We can blame God for whatever. We can allow ourselves to get caught in a scarcity mindset out of fear. Or we can give thanks that God has already given us everything we need. God has given us one another. God has given us this beautiful world. God has given us all sorts of ways to tend and to mend and to care and to share. As we think about preparing a table here at Foundry that draws the circle wider and makes sure that all have enough, just think about the abundance that is among us all and all around us. You know, some of the best feasts I ever attended, some of the best tables I have ever been uh, around have been potlucks. You know, it's always a little bit of a crapshoot, a potluck, let's be honest. But, but the truth of the matter is, some of the best feasts ever is when everybody who's coming to the table brings their best dish. They bring their best thing. If each one of us simply contributes what we can if each one of us brings our very best to the table, there's absolutely no reason we should struggle to exceed our goal and to have the resources we need. There is no reason that we should have to struggle and not receive the resources that we need. As we continue to build relationships and partner with others in our city, we will find ways to assure that we will not continue to live in a place that is really two cities, one city that has more than enough and one city that doesn't have enough. We will find ways to assure that our neighbors are cared for, that our neighbors have housing. We will find ways to house our neighbors instead of evicting them from their tents. We will find ways to assure that all our neighbors' needs are met. 
The Lord is our shepherd. So let's not only really, really want to prepare a table that leaves no one wanting. Let's do what it takes to actually get the job done.